Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals about all aspects of the gaming industry. Uh, this is episode one. Today we're going to be interviewing Barbara Kachuk of Bloober Team about Blair Witch. And uh, as always, I am your, your host, Ted Henschke of the DreadXP.com. I'm Jesse. I played a video game once. And I'm Christine of The Smallest Burb. Yeah, Christine, actually, you know, the funny thing is, is that we uh, introduced this with uh, air quotes, real professionals talking to non-air quotes, real professionals. Christine is actually uh, a non-air quotes, real professional. She works for Gung Ho. I do. Yeah. I'm a community manager. What is Gung Ho? <laughs> it is a um, multi-platform um, video game publisher, but we're also um, developing as well. Yeah, that's that's how you can tell that she's like a real professional. She works that multi-platform in there. Like most people, just say like it's a. They made puzzles and dragons, and that's that's it. That's usually what they say. Anyways, so we're gonna go ahead and get on into our weekly news recap. News, 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 news. This is where you're gonna edit the audio to have a, a cool drop. Hopefully, or else I'm just gonna sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> Um, so we're going to go over the top news stories, three of the top news stories that I picked for the week. Um, normally this will be coming out of our archives, but I was very busy this week and the only news story I got to uh, post was about uh, The Surge 2 has a new trailer that dropped, which shows that it is, in fact, a sequel to The Surge. So really? I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I was there. Uh, you Are What You Kill trailer, which showed you slicing off limbs and wearing them, which is a big part of The Surge, probably the best part of The Surge. Yeah. I actually kind of like that game, but we're not going to spend too long talking about The Surge 2. Um, first story of the week is that uh, PlayStation and Sony announced their list of games for the Tokyo Game Show. Uh, that's going to be happening on uh, the 12th through the 15th. We will not be going this year because uh, the website just launched and I forgot to get my budget approved for it. So we will be there next year to give you all the, uh, the news from the Tokyo Game Show. But, uh, you know, a lot of familiar names on this uh, list, you know, Borderlands 3, they're going to show Borderlands 3, they're going to be showing Cyberpunk 2077, um, the Dark Pictures Anthology, which after the reviews came out, they might be pulling that, uh, you know, the new Dragon Ball Z game, uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 Definitive Edition, because that's relevant, and a lot of Japanese stuff, like uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 14, and uh, Romancing Saga 3, which I'm guessing is very similar to the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. And then a bunch of, like, Japanese stuff. Shenmue 3 is going to be shown. Two Tales games. No, Tales of Arise and Trails. Trials? Trials, Trials of Mana. Trials of Cold Steel? No, Trials of Mana. So oh. it's just, it's, it's Japanese game word soup. It's like you just take, like, Resonance of Fate. Like, you just, you just slap three things together, and it's, it's a Japanese game. Uh, Neo 2 is going to be shown there, too. There's going to be actually have a playable version of Neo 2, so I'm actually really excited about that. Um, Are they showing any Project Resistance stuff there? Yes. It says that they're going to have a playable uh, demo for Project Resistance. What is Project Resistance? I have no idea what this is. Uh, so it's the Resident Evil... It's Resident Evil's new game. Um, they basically... Uh, Capcom Japan had basically sent out a press release uh, to basically saying, hey, we want, you know, beta testers for this thing that we're doing. And it was very hush-hush. Um, and then they wouldn't say what it was. And then recently, like, right during PAX West, uh, this, this like, mock um, 
I, I, I can't remember when it was from that these images came out, but it was it's like a multiplayer Resident Evil game. So, like, are we talking about Raccoon City Chronicles or... Operation Raccoon City, I think. Uh, well, then there was also the Umbrella Core game, which was their multiplayer shooter that I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that ever played that. Yeah. You, like, it was only you people... You are my coworker. <laughs> it was only people who had a streaming, like, had a Let's Play series and they were just showing off how shitty it was. Oh, well, I... I uh, no comment on the the quality of uh, Umbrella. Uh, what is oh, it? Redacted. Umbrella Core. Allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly bad game. No, it was like um, it was a weird shooter where they tried to include the zombies as well. Like the zombies were part of the environment, and so you could like you had these zombie repellent backpacks on, but you could shoot someone's backpack, and then it would break, and then the zombies would attack them, which is like so much more efficient than shooting them in the face because that would just kill them, and yeah. then what would be the fun? But uh, it was it was like it wasn't that bad of a game. Uh, it got it got savaged by critics, but I didn't I didn't think it was that bad. But yeah, so you're saying that this is like a multiplayer Resident Evil game? Yeah, that's what it's looking like, and it's looking like a four player like like a, I don't know if you know the Last Nightmare, but it's kind of looking like it's going to be something along those lines. Oh, so yeah, so there was um, the Last Nightmare. Wasn't that the multiplayer mode for the DS version of Resident Evil or something like that? No, no, it was its own game. Oh, God. From what I understand about this new game, it's a game where you and three other players have to fight against waves and waves of, uh, you know, fast zombies. Hordes of zombies, you might say. And there's some specialty zombies in there. Some of them, you know, uh, are large tanks. Some (laughs) of them kind of jump around like stealthy hunters. Uh, They're calling it Dead for Left. Dead for Left. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh... Dead 3? Yeah, well, no, that will never come out. Valve can't can't count to three, as we all know. Um, uh, I, I keep sacrificing heifers af- asking uh, for Left 4 Dead 3 to be released, but it still hasn't happened. <laughs> I've got so many dead cow bones in my backyard. It's <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but I haven't lost faith. But I, I know that there was a multiplayer Resident Evil game series, the Outbreak series. Um, Outbreak and Outbreak 2 that were specifically, those were like for the PlayStation 2 even, back when you had to buy the network adapter for the PS2 to play it. Did either, I'm, I'm guessing no one else ever played those. No, I'm 15, no. so this was before my time. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I actually, this is the kind of guy I was in high school. I bought it for a girlfriend of mine who was my long distance girlfriend that I met over World of Warcraft. True story. And I bought her uh, a PlayStation 2 with Resident Evil Outbreak so we could play it online together. And then she rightfully dumped me. <laughs> <laughs> As one should do in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could catfish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dude, she was a totally real person. She was studying to be a vet. She lives in Canada. She's totally real. Don't worry about it. She goes to a different school. But also, we have Little Nightmares 2, which I'm excited for. That was a cute game. Yes. Yeah. Did you play Little Nightmares, Christine? I did. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. It was cute. I think I think Little Nightmares was uh, one of those indie games that comes along that you know we always get a trove of indie games with small adorable characters with huge heads uh, alone in an uncaring world where nightmare monsters are chasing them. But uh, Little Nightmares was good. It just was a bit short. Um, this one's being uh, published by Bandai Namco, so it's a little bit of a bigger name behind it. I think the last one was published by Bandai Namco too, but I think this one's got more money in it. So uh, I guess they they saw that it had some promise or what they wanted to build off of it. Yeah, I mean, it's well, horror in general, like especially indie horror, is like one of those things where you can put 
five hundred thousand dollars into making a game, and it can just easily turn into like five hundred million. So I think that a lot of these big publishers are looking at these small indie titles and trying to make it's like the paranormal activity of the gaming world. You know, it's like it's Slender: The Arrival was made by like one dude and a basic knowledge of video game programming and the ability to put a grainy filter over things. Like that was the whole game, and it made. I think like 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 the newest edition of Slender Arrival is finally coming out for the microwave or something. Like it came out on fucking everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Minecraft was made by one Swedish huckster and his and his fifteen indentured servants. <laughs> his fifteen indentured servants. And look how well that did. And his his questionable ideas on uh, race politics and imperialism. Oh, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would love to talk to Notch someday. Just, oh my god! Yeah. I want to. I want to just go and see. Do you ever? Do you ever see the pictures of his insane mansion where he's just got like a wall of like candy dispensers? No. He. Yeah, that was one of the first. Like, it was like. It was the most. Fucking gauche, ridiculous house. Like there were stuff with like, tiger print and like. Just, like, uh, this wall of candy stuff, which there's no way he was able to, you know, he's a big guy, but there's no way he's able to eat <laughs> yeah. more than half of it. Not just a big boy. Yeah. Yeah, he's got his, he's got his little sweeties, his treats on standby. His, yeah, his treat dispenser. I, I, I didn't even realize the absolute extravagance of that until I realized that these dispensers, like, we have ways to store candy on regular houses, and they're, like, called, like, containers and cups. Cab- cabinets. Yeah, cabinets, and he just yeah. has specific candy dispensing like cabinetry wasn't enough for him he needed the little the little turn valve to... yeah so that he can like just put his mouth under it just... <laughs> yeah it's, this isn't it's a fat about being extra this isn't fat shaming this is uh no, this wealth is not... this wealth is wealth shaming, shaming. yeah th- that guy has a billion dollars he's gonna be fine it doesn't matter what yeah. we're fucking saying about him anyways uh another game that i'm personally very excited for is this is the title is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon, question mark, parentheses, infinite combat, spelled with an E? I'm going to go with yes, it is. Yeah. Christine, as, as, a, as a dungeon girl yourself, is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon? What's, is there a correct situation to try to pick up girls in a dungeon? I mean, is it, was it mutual? Was she okay like with being picked up in a dungeon? Why was she in the dungeon in the first place? These are the questions. Right, and it's hard, it's hard to tell with the female style of armor whether or not she's putting out, you know, pick-up vibes, <laughs> no. because that's just what plus 12 armor looks like. Regardless, there's an incredibly unbalanced power, you know, influence, because, you know, is she trapped in the dungeon? Like, because I'd say anything to get uh, an adventure to take me out of a dungeon. Yeah, I'll, I'll suck your dick. Yeah, uh, I, I'm imagining... I'll, I got 50, you know, I got... 5,000 gold at home, just get me out of here. I'm imagining that this is a dungeon in the sense of like World of Warcraft dungeon and not a Jeffrey Epstein dungeon, in which case it is entirely wrong to pick up girls in a Jeffrey Epstein dungeon unless you're putting them on the helicopter to get off Little St. James. But uh, before we get too dark with this, I just, I really want to know what this game is. It's made by a couple... Sorry, just just to cut you off really quick. It's an anime. You know that, right? Oh my, yeah, well... I could have guessed. Like, it's, yeah. it's first off, this is I. This is an anime game, no matter. Yeah, what. it's based off of Goblin Slayer. <laughs> no, there's an actual anime called "Is It Wrong to Pick Up uh, Girls in the Dungeon." But yeah, um, also I think that more egregious than that is that they spell combat C O M B A T E, 
which is like just like a Japanese thing where you add random letters on it to make it different. I have no idea why they do that. Kombate was my favorite character in Wolfenstein. <laughs> Infinite Kombate! Um, but it's also going to be on the Vita in case you need to pick up girls in a dungeon or ask more so ask the question, is it wrong to do so? Wouldn't that be great if this is like actually like kind of a like a like a think piece on like sexism and gaming culture and how it's like the answer is like it is wrong and you should treat them like other humans and like it just makes you think about it. like we're making fun of it and it turns out to be brilliant that would certainly be refreshing <laughs> considering that it's an anime i highly doubt that um since goodbye all of our audience yeah since it's aimed at gamers who have uh, uh a very clear way to see if a person is a gamer is to examine their frontal lobe, and if there's just a massive hole there, <laughs> then you know you're dealing with a gamer. Every and time, so it's made for people with a Phineas gauge. I gotta say, like damage. working in this industry, every time I meet someone at like an E3 party or something like that, I have to be like, "Hey, I'm Ted. Nice to meet you. Don't worry, I'll prove to you in the next like hour that I'm not one of the weird ones." Or like, I always have to have like three preliminary calls with like a contact before they feel comfortable like coming on a podcast or something like that because they always are just like. Are you one of the ones that says the N-word randomly? And I'm like, no, I'm not. That's this is I'm one of the ones. Oh, uh, we should have named this podcast Heated Gaming Moment. <laughs> Heated Gaming Moment. Yeah. Um Christine, do you have any hot takes on uh this title? I just I just hope it really isn't as sleazy as it sounds. I mean That's all that's all I hope. It will be. This is from the like it's probably along the same lines as that Akihabara panty game where you gotta like beat up girls uh... to steal their panties. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know, like, I knew it was an anime right off the bat. Who, who's making it? Do you know? It's a company called Mages. What, what style of game is it? It's gonna be a JRPG, bro. Come on, they're all the same game. What a, what a miserable existence it must be to have to jerk off to a fucking JRPG. Just Google tit. <laughs> Just one? <laughs> yeah. There's so many on the internet, all for free. Just Google tit and then have uh, Golden Sun emulated in another window. <laughs> Just fucking Jesus Christ. You don't uh, need to masturbate to everything. Yeah, that's, that should be the name, been the name of the podcast. You don't have to masturbate to everything. <laughs> we just talk about anime. Um, anyways, we're going to move on from... Uh, that's the lineup for the uh, TGS. I've always wanted to, to go to TGS. It, it sounds like a rip-roaring good time. It's not as big as it used to be, but you know, Sony didn't throw up at E3 this year, so kind of going on to the more serious side, like this is like kind of the big chance for show, Sony to do a showing this year, and they're not doing their PlayStation experience again, which was like their big showing last year, so it's kind of interesting to see what will happen. Um, are there any titles that didn't get listed that either of you are hoping that Sony shows off? I saw a, a little bit of Predator at uh, PAX West. Predator? And yeah. Uh, they're making a Predator game, like like the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. The Jeffrey Epstein game. <laughs> no shot. <laughs> plays like Revengeance. What it, it? So I only I only got to see uh, like the the booth and what like people were like doing, but it seems to be like Predator, like yeah, like. It's called Predator Hunting Grounds, is the name of it. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. It's very it's very strange. I don't I, think it has... I, I'm not sure if it actually has anything to do with, with Predator Prayer, but I know that it's like one of those games where you're like being hunted by something. Hmm. 
Yeah, I'm looking just, it up right now. Predator hunting yeah, grounds. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is predator. So yeah, you play as a like you either play so it's kinda like a Sockum game, but instead of fighting a terrorist, you're fighting like one predator and the predator tries to hunt down like a SEAL team. That's pretty cool. Didn't they already do yeah. that with uh what was that game that sold like ten copies? The one where it's like Evolve? Evolve, Evolve. yeah. Evolve. That game actually sold a bunch of copies, but it got like slashed in the reviews because of its crazy like it was one of the first games that people were like, is DLC bad? Because it came out and the DLC was like, I think it was like $700 if you wanted to get all the DLC with it. <clears throat> but uh, anyways, by the way, if you're going to be Googling Predator Hunting Grounds and you live in the great state of Arizona, please type in the grounds because if you just type in Predator Hunting, I just got like 70 images of dead coyotes. So nice. thanks, Arizona, and your liberal gun laws. So uh, yeah, uh, we're going to move on from that because uh, you know I was saying is that, uh, you, so you're looking forward to Predator uh, Hunting Grounds. Jesse, anything you're looking forward to? No. No, I haven't been keeping up. Yeah, I also forgot to mention they're going to be showing off more of Ghosts of Tsushima, but really the only one I'm really super looking forward to is Neo 2, because I'm the kind of uh, masochist that really likes those Dark Souls-style games. And Neo was actually like a really good game. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. If you have an extra 400 spare hours, go ahead and play Neo, because it's... <laughs> no, it is ridiculously long. It, it's hard. It's hard. Well, it's, it's not even just that it's hard. It's, it's probably about four times as long in its regular campaign, just if you're not even doing the side missions as, like, a Dark Souls game. And then there's a hard mode and a DLC on top of that that adds, like, another 200 hours. It's crazy long. It's kind of, um, like, the near Automata level of length. It's, it gets really, really deep. And it was good. It's a good game. And uh, play, you play as real-life world's first weeaboo. That's the actual... Did you know that, Christine, that uh, Neo is based on a true story? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's uh, Travis Williams, I think. What was his name? William. William F. Wallace. Barkley. William Neo. I'm looking it up right now, but it's based well, on a William real. William Clinton. Well, this is actually an interesting. Yeah, well, it's based on a real guy named. Um, oh, come on. Uh, Journey of William. William what? William Wallace. I, I know it's William something. Uh, Irish guy. He was an Irish. Well, in real life, he was Dutch. William um, Kelly. Will, William Adams. Like William people. Adams. Here we go. He was a real-life sailor and samurai who traveled to Japan in 1564, back when it was like before it was cool, and uh, like he studied with like Tokugawa and became a samurai and one of his advisors. And there's like a statue of him in in Japan, and he was the world's first real-life weeb. Like, you know. That's white privilege at its finest. You just arrive at this place, and all of a sudden, you know, there's samurais who've been training since birth, and this fucking guy just waltzes into the Tokugawa's palace and is like, hey, can you, can you tutor me? And they're like, yeah. So, I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, you should, uh, you should make sure that you talk to the Asian-American, him or the Asian historic, hist, historic, Heritage, heritage, not historage. What am I talking about? Asian Heritage Foundation about the uh, white privilege of William Adams, the world's first white dude in uh, in Japan. <clears throat> I don't know. I think it's pretty funny that they took this real life story, which is probably like incredibly interesting, about a guy that goes to a culture he's completely foreign to. Like this is like when like a year studying abroad like wasn't something that people did. You had like completely uproot your life, and yeah, um, a year studying abroad evolved getting scurvy and like every one of your uh, crew members dying in a shipwreck. 
Well, the crazy thing is, is like he went there and studied and became an advisor and then like came back and talked about it for a while and then like went back to Japan. Like this is like, and this is back before you could like, it was like, oh, I got like a 17 hour flight to Japan. It was like a year and a half on a boat, you know, <laughs> like it's not fun to get there. And, uh, but yeah, pretty, pretty interesting guy. Um, and that's, of course, translated perfectly in the game where you fight demons and the evil Lord Nobunaga. And, uh, Where you have like a little fairy in a jar that lives. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It wasn't. The I game. like that you get a bird companion. That's that's what I want in every game. Well, you get like a billion companions, right? There's like a ton of different companions. Yeah, you, get. you just store them in your back pocket. It's like Dark Souls mixed with uh, like Pokemon, kind the, of. The, uh, but I thought it's like you get the main three. There's like three that you can pick from. No, there's a lot you can pick from. Yeah, you, you start out with you can. You start out with a couple, or at least a choice between a couple, but. You know, it's like Pokemon. You gotta go out and uh, stab them with a katana. I think they're just like items that you get. They're kind of like talismans. And then strip the soul from their corpse and put it in a cigar box. Yeah, yeah. You, in, in, but that frees them from the evil influence. So you're the good guy. Don't worry. Mm. Okay, moving on from Neo. <clears throat> we all have our games that we're excited about. Um, not me. <laughs> not Jesse. Jesse never play video games. <laughs> this is his first video game. I'm over it, man. Yeah, um... We also have the announcement that Microsoft is... Uh, I, I only picked this article because I love the title. Microsoft fights the battle for Mindshare with X019 or X019. X019? It might probably is X019, like uh, the Mega Man intro. It's like in the year XX01 or whatever, or 20XX. I can't even remember how Mega Man starts. Um, but it's, it's their Xbox uh, extravaganza where they have a, the, a trade show... Just for Xbox stuff, it's supposed to be a celebration of all things Xbox with live streaming. It's for three days. It's going to be in London. Um, it's what, September nineteenth through the twenty second, I think. Let me let me look up the dates on it in case you're gonna you know hop a plane to England. Uh, it is no sorry November fourteenth through sixteenth. So if you you know are planning your flight, you better get it now because those. Sure, it's going to be a hot ticket. Um, <clears throat> tickets don't go on sale until September twenty fourth. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I find these these smaller trade shows to be like rather lackluster. So like full disclosure, like I don't I don't pay for any of this shit. Like I go to E three and I don't pay for anything, and it's basically a giant party. So from like a purely selfish standpoint, I'm a huge fan of as many of these gigantic blowout parties where they're spending millions of dollars to like fly me out and give me like free food for a weekend, like I'm in favor of all of those that can exist. However, I, I think it's like not good for the industry to have all these like individual blowout events that are essentially marketing stunts without the competition. I do think it's a tremendous waste because like, you know, for these, you know, three quarters of a billion dollar games, like a third of their budget goes into marketing and the marketing is like, unless it's commercials or computer advertisements it's always nonsense <laughs> like what if we took a like a suv and put a bunch of ant legs on it animatronic ant legs on it and then let people uh shoot at it to advertise earth defense force like what a totally fucking bird-brained idea well uh to you're... get like a a 50 foot tall statue of reinhardt from uh <laughs> Overwatch and squeeze them into the E3 uh, convention center. Well, you're forgetting that they actually did have a car that you could shoot at with a machine gun for Twisted Metal. That was like an actual marketing stunt. Yeah, they just. I remember that. Didn't it blow up? 
I think it did at some point. I feel bad for the intern that they put in there. They duct taped his hands to the wheel <laughs> and told him that a, uh, a explosive collar would go off on his neck <laughs> if he uh, stopped. Yeah, that was that was pretty rough of them to do that. I, I, I can't believe that they were just so willing to throw away human lives, but it does make sense. You know, 3% sales margin increase. <laughs> 3% sales margin increase? That would definitely be worth at least one human life. Yeah. Um, I remember I was I was researching this for something, um, and I remember for uh, Resident Evil Five, they um, you know they took fake like body parts and they hid them around London, like a certain area in London, for like marketing reasons, and you had to go find them. But mm-hmm. like people were like stealing them, people were like calling the police. I was just like, this oh, sounds like a yeah. horrible stunt. Yeah, like they gotta know that they're doing that. I mean, remember when uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force hid like these little like bomb-looking things under bridges with like the characters on them? No, I don't. No. Oh, uh, this would have been like ten years ago. Uh, I was least. just gonna say that Resident Evil Six called in the bomb threat to uh, predict their Metacritic score. <laughs> That's nothing. That Resident Evil Seven, they actually would inject you with the Ouroboros virus. <laughs> they actually just turned you into a zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Or there were no zombies in Resident Evil uh, 7. There were just poop monsters. That was a great game, though. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, back to the topic at hand, these, these gigantic uh, blowout marketing events from a purely stan- selfish standpoint, I'm a fan of because it's like a free vacation for me. But, like, I don't know. The thing about E3 is that you can call it, like, a huge blowout spectacle, but the reason it's a huge blowout spectacle is because the major companies are trying to show up each other and it like makes it so that they try to bring their most quality product. I think that by having these like small independent shows, like it's 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 way more of a wank and just like a self-congratulatory back padding than even E3 is because at E3 you're still up against the specter of all your competition coming out and like doing better than you. And um, it also gives like smaller studios like Devolver a chance to come out with their like unique kind of independent showcases that are just kind of like avant-garde marketing stunts. But they do gangbusters, and I love what they did this year. Yeah, I love what they do every year. They they have a brilliant marketing team, and um, I'm just they hoping do. that it you know maintains that level of quality year after year. But uh, you know, with this like X O nineteen, like I, I can't imagine going, and like I can't imagine being an impartial journalist at X O nineteen. First off, you have to be in good with Microsoft to get invited, and then secondly, like. What are you gonna criticize the most recent Gears of War game and then like get kicked out and like spend a night in the Xbox gulags? Like, like at E3, I can I can I can go in and say I think Sony had a better showing than Microsoft this year, and I've said that pretty consistently. And like Microsoft still invites me back because like that's the nature of the show is you're trying to show off against right. other companies. But this is like it's literally just a celebration of all things Xbox, and I'm like okay. I think it's important to remember that for these extremely extravagant, over-the-top things, the the people who pay for it are ultimately the customers. I mean, where else does the money come from? That's why these games that have, you know, are definitely not worth sixty bucks, are sixty bucks, yeah. and then they get DLC that's another sixty to one hundred twenty bucks, <laughs> and then you got to pay Xbox for their stupid online system. Yeah. So I would much rather them just do, like, you know, you don't really have to hire models and buy ludicrous statues to sell games. Like, people aren't there for that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we just want to see some, a fucking gameplay trailer. Christine? 
Well, I was thinking about what you were saying, how, like, they they have, like, a little more competition at E3, but at this year's E3, they, were, they weren't even on the show floor. They were, you know, they were, like, three or four blocks down in mm-hmm. the Microsoft Center. They were isolated. They were, they were, it was essentially what you're talking about on a smaller scale. Yeah, well, they were on the show floor, just not as, they, I think they definitely were, like, they had a section on the show floor. It just wasn't big. No, right? they didn't. They didn't they at all? They didn't at all. Hmm. I was there. Oh, I mean, I was there too. I just, I, I thought I remembered them having at least like a few things. Oh no, it was just with the, the, some of their titles, like the 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 de- de- developers had their own spaces. Right. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they have that Microsoft Theater. If you're if you haven't been to E3 because you're a scrub and not as good as us, um, the the actual show floor is is huge. It's like the the entire LA Convention Center. And it's like two whole halls and then the meeting rooms in between. But next to that, they have the Microsoft Theater, which Microsoft owns and they've just decided to have their own xbox experience um which you can get into even if you don't have an e3 pass and you can just kind of go check out their games there um and it's just a nightmare to book for because trying to get from the convention center to the microsoft studio you have to go through security twice and it's a fucking nightmare um <clears throat> but yeah i just so are, are either of you gonna try to get tickets to xo19 um i live in no. absolute poverty and squalor so Probably not. Oh, no. Of course we're not going to pay for that. That'd be ridiculous. Okay, good. Yeah, if they fly me out, I'll go. But um, I don't know. I just... Uh, I, uh, I, I will say this on the positive side of this. I don't want to completely trash on Xbox. Like, if any of the major companies were going to be having an event like this, I do believe that Microsoft is the one. Like, the PlayStation experience last year was a, was a, was a celebration of all things PlayStation. But, like, there's no such thing as, like, a PlayStation community. There's no such thing as, like, a Sony community outside of like marketing blurbs and like the idea of like an extended Sony family through their like enterprise network of products through like Sony pictures and Sony interactive entertainment and stuff. And then Nintendo is like, I don't know, understand why Nintendo has never correctly gotten down their network featuring like the friend codes have always been like a terrible idea, but, um, you know, Microsoft has definitely like they, they have like monthly uh, conference calls that you can like tune into to find out what's going on at Xbox monthly updates and then they also have like Mixer, which is their own streaming service that is that they like some several streamers have moved over to because they're really trying to grow this like Xbox community. And they've also like integrated PC gaming with Xbox gaming with crossplay. Like, if there's any company that deserves to have an expo where they try to have this community organizing event, it's the one that actually like has functionality for their community through Mixer and things like that. I guess like the PlayStation streaming service, like PlayStation TV technically exists i don't even remember if that's still a thing i knew it existed back way back when but yeah certainly not being used by anybody i I remember like back in the day when the playstation live streaming service was like going on i think it was i can't remember i think it was called playstation tv back then it was like the old dark web where you would just like go on and there would just be like this weird dude in a santa suit talking about conspiracy theories and it was like every single channel was like a like a crazier version of coast to coast with art bell it was like <laughs> pretty much it was it was like i was like four in the morning high off my ass and i was like let's see that's on the playstation tv and there would just be this like old lady like washing her cats <laughs> i was like this is perfect in the, in the dishwasher <laughs> holy like no like in her sink like just like washing the cats I didn't. I it. didn't know this, but but PlayStation had its own reality show. Really? Yeah, it was called Radar, I think. 
the, the only reason I know this is because I met somebody who was a, who was the winner of it recently, mm-hmm. and like I was curious, and I like looked it up, and it looked it looked it essentially looked like Big Brother, but with but PlayStation like, for PlayStation. Yeah, it I, was. I want I want to see a version of of PlayStation like a, like Big Brother with all nerds where it's just like ten dudes that are too nervous to talk to the girls on the other side of the room, so they all just like try to talk about how they're like too good for like they're they're all bitches and then like half of them try to be super nice about it and then they get rejected and they they just it just it just like spirals out of control. So instead of everyone getting laid, it's just everyone being real bitter about it. Yeah, <laughs> That would be something. That would that would be a real TV show with some real people in it. Um, no reality. Yeah. The, the last the last story I want to talk about real quick is that there's um, so uh, Succubus, a new game from the creators of Agony. Everyone remember what Agony is? Yes. Yep. That's the game where you play as uh, in hell, and uh, there's like graphic rape scenes and shit like that. You play as a man who is in suffering. Who's in suffering? Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. Um, but uh, it, yeah, so apparently they're making a sequel called Succubus, where you play as a, a succubus. It's in the title. Does this game does this game feature Morgan from Darkstalkers? Because if not, I'm I'm out. Basically, I mean, I'm looking at the pictures right now, which we're not going to link below because I think we're going to try to at least put this on like some place where you can't show boobs. Um, but it's all boobs. It's all bloody boobs. Um, and uh, apparently, it. it takes place after the events of Agony, um, which Agony had like six endings, so, but I guess the, ag- the ending they're going with is that you decide not to become the king of hell. Spoiler alert for Agony, a game you should never play. Um, I'm like really kind of shocked that they managed to like come up with the funds for a sequel because I didn't think Agony sold well and I don't like... C- certainly not a sequel as ridiculous as this. I mean, I remember reading some of it and it's like, use your unique succubus powers to get ahead what specify <laughs> the powers please yeah specify I don't think they could put it in a press release I, I played Agony and um I again you don't have to masturbate to everything <laughs> you don't have Especially to masturbate to everything yeah exactly um I, I so I want to say that I do appreciate the unique artistic vision of Mad Hat Studios and what they do with Agony to try to have like a very hyper realistic depiction of hell is is interesting and they definitely like got the horrible aspect of hell right the game was just like my, my main problems with it were that was that like it was a buggy mess like I, I i i can understand if you want to have the most shocking game ever i don't actually like i don't like it personally but like i'm not gonna trash a studio for having like a bold and visceral artistic vision what i'm saying is is that like the game was hyper buggy and almost unplayable like and it just it felt like, if they really cared about their artistic vision, they would care about cleaning up the mechanics. You know what I mean? No, I, I, get, I, I can feel that. I don't know. I mean, hell is subjective. To me, the most realistic depiction of hell is a JCPenney's. <laughs> right, but if you were going to have, like, a JCPenney's as hell simulator, you, like, you better, like, if I pick up the pants to look at them, like, they better not clip through my hands, you know? Like, you put your, your heart and soul into that JCPenney's. Fair enough. And uh, it's yeah. So my my opinion of agony is that like I'm I'm I am great with spectacle. I think spectacle is fun. I even think that shocking and horrifying people is great as long as 
it's like your artistic vision and the game just felt too choppy to to be someone's real artistic vision it's it's like when you you slap a, a pair of tits on a on a youtube video thumbnail on a just to statue to get a heart from overwatch yeah to just like to just to get extra clip clicks like if your genuine passion is like the top 10 anime titties like whatever live your dream make that youtube compilation but if you're making a video about like real politics and the world and then like your your thumbnail is like some chick in a bikini like i don't that's not your artistic vision you know what i mean mm-hmm. well it's not about art it's about mining clicks yeah it's about mining clicks so it's anyways clickbait. yeah it's clickbait bullshit anyways we, we're we're gonna move on from succubus because i don't want to talk about it any longer and uh, we're running on a schedule here so, um, you know, I just want to, we're going to be talking to uh, Barbara uh, Gazentite here pretty soon about uh, Blair Witch. And before we get into that, um, I just want to ask you guys real quick, have you guys seen the movies? No. No. Yes, but say say her last name. Uh, could you? Yes, thank you. There you go. It's, it's rated R, so you have to be 17 to see it, yeah. and I'm not. <laughs> You're 15 years old. 15 years old. Um... Yeah, uh, Christine, have you seen them? Yes, I have seen them. So, uh, you know, I think most of our listeners have probably seen the Blair Witch films. Um, I've seen all three of them, despite the fact they would like you to forget that three of them exist. Uh, The original Blair Witch Project came out in, I think it was like 99, uh, 97, something like that. Really along, like, I I was like... 10 I think when it came out so I didn't see it in the theaters so I never had that like authentic Blair Witch experience I feel like a lot of like people's memories of Blair Witch especially older people that really like it remember like the marketing campaign around it where there was these like this is like before the later days of the internet so like these flyers would go up at Sundance about these kids are missing you didn't know if it was real or not and then there's this web page dedicated to like the history of Blair Witch and like Rustin Parr and like all this kind of weird lore that's behind it and um I think that all that stuff's really cool. I really like that mixed media approach to to marketing. And um, but like you watch the the original Blair Witch Project now in your living room with the lights on and your cat in your lap, and it's just like, okay, is there some kids uh, annoying kids in a wood in the woods? Oh, oh there's some scary stick figures. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, you know uh, Blair Witch, the most recent one, 2016, comes around, and they're like, we need to market this to the kids, and so they just have like exploding spines and like. The Blair Witch is now this gigantic monster lady, and it's just like, Bruh! like it's like a like a funhouse, like you're running through, and it's like the the ending is like running through a. Like... It plays exactly like Doom 2016, <laughs> except instead of demons, you're fighting Blair Witches. Yeah, and it's just like this, this stark tonal shift that like narratively didn't add a whole lot to the plot, and it also had like a really dumb ending where it's like the one thing you can't do for the Blair Witch is turn around, and then she's like. Well, okay. So you've never you haven't seen the newest Blair Witch, so they they literally mention that like you can't turn around, and that's like that's how she gets you is if you turn around. And there's two people standing in a corner, and then the Blair Witch is behind them, and then uh, the Blair Witch makes the sound of one of the guy's sister, and the guy turns around and is like Stacy. I can't even remember her name. And then like the Blair Witch like rips his head off, and the girl right next to him like is is like directly next to him experiences this all happening. She's like, oh god, now I can't turn around. And then it's the dude's voice right behind her. And she's like, Aaron. I can't remember his name. Aaron. And turns around and she dies. It's like, you just saw that happen. Like, how is this your ending? Yeah, she played them like a goddamn fiddle. <laughs> she played them like a goddamn <laughs> fiddle. But um, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading it now. So is the, is the 
the movie that came out in 2016, is that supposed to be like he's looking for his sister who yeah. was in the first movie? So, yes. So the, the Blair okay. Witch Project, um, it, Blair Witch is a direct sequel to the Blair Witch Project. Blair okay, Witch, Blair, uh, sorry, it's called Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 is also a sequel to Blair Witch. Now, the, the thing here is that Blair, uh, Blair Witch 2, or Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, is um, a sequel in the sense that it is like, uh, it pretends that the first movie was a movie. So it's a, it's a movie about how the Blair Witch Project movie isn't real, and these people are going there and like become obsessed with it. It's like it's it's supposed to be about fandom and the cult obsession, and then they kind of go crazy because of their cult obsession. But Blair Witch Two treats the Blair Witch Project as though it was a movie, which of course it Blair, was right. It, yeah, the, <laughs> it was a movie. You're correct, but in, in the it's like and then Blair Witch treats Blair Witch Project as though it wasn't a movie, and instead was a real missing persons case. And that Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows didn't exist, which is the correct way to go about it. Because Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows <laughs> is, they, they made it in like nine months. I'm not even joking. Like the first movie came out and was so successful that they like cranked it out in nine months. Like I, I, it like released within a year. And um, it's, it's kind of like, you, you, like, it feels like someone explained to an Italian film director that hadn't seen Blair Witch Project what it was. And they made like a regular movie and they were like, oh, I, I didn't even realize it was found footage. Like, it's not even found footage. It's a completely different genre. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an experience. If you want the full version, watch Blair Witch BFG Edition. <laughs> the one, is that the one in VR? Yes. <laughs> but, uh, can, you, can you play it as the witch? Yeah, that's actually that's the newest sequel. It's Blair Witch for the, the Witchening. Blair Witch Rising Revengeance. Blair Witch Rising Revengeance. Yeah, um, a little known fact, the Vavitch, the, the, takes place Vavitch? in the Blair Witch universe. No, it doesn't. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, That'd be sick, though. That would be sick. That would be a great plot twist at the end. Is that, like, it's like this, like, 1700s, but the time loop is that these kids with a camcorder, like, run into the farmstead. Like, oh, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. that, would, that would be really good. Um, but, you know, uh, for all the, the trash talking I'm giving, um, so Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, there's actually a really, really, really interesting backstory to it where he was trying to make a movie about film fandom. And there's actually, a, like, if you watch, there's a YouTube video that you can watch that releases the extended cut and also cuts out all the studio add-ons. So there's a whole podcast we can do about studio add-ons on the films and how they, like, ruin everything. Um, but all the studio add-ons and how it, like, made it a way less interesting film. Like, the original cut of the film, when you take in all the cut scenes and take out all the bullshit... It was actually, like, a pretty solid movie, if not, like, low-budget and poorly acted. Um, like, the story and, like, the fundamental concept is pretty cool. Uh, Blair Witch Project itself is, like, a movie that you kind of had to be there for. And then the newest Blair Witch was definitely trying to, like, modernize it and did so not terribly successfully. It only made, like, $50 million on a $5 million budget, which to us sounds like a lot, but for horror film studios, that's, like, fucking nothing. And, um... See, you, you, you say you kind of had to be there to like get it mm -hmm. but i only watched blair witch like two years ago and i still think it stands are you talking about blair witch or the blair witch project blair witch well the newest one uh, i'm sorry the, no, no no i'm talking about i'm talking about blair witch project sorry. okay the original blair witch project. yeah 
Yeah, I, I think this is this is like it's really subjective. I personally have sat through that movie probably seven times now. I watched through all of them again before the podcast just to like refresh myself. Sorry, not before the podcast, before playing the new game just to refresh myself. And I was like, okay, it was fine. Um, I just like, I don't know. I, I thought that the the movie was a lot of kids getting scared in the woods and people shouting at each other. And uh, I've seen. I've seen all of the found footage movies. Like I, I have seen, I saw eight, two, three, one Gacy house, the John Wayne Gacy found footage movie where a kid gets pantsed by a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a 100 or 200 ghost street. The, the ghost of Richard Speck. Uh, I've seen, I mean, name a found footage movie. I've fucking seen it. Like that was my job when I first started working for dread central was to review the the shitty found footage films that no one wanted to watch. Like, I literally got my job because I walked into the editor-in-chief's house and he just, like, picked up a stack of DVDs. He's like, I'm tired of this shit! And he threw it at me. And that's how I got my start in the industry, is I just reviewed bad found footage. And um, so, like, I, I think that the Blair Witch Project, for me, is like, okay, like, this is another found footage movie. It's okay. It's not the best found footage movie. That's their watching. That's the best found footage movie. Uh, it ends with a witch turning a dude into a pile of frogs, and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" That's how I want to go. Yeah, it's that's a that's on Netflix. It's a it's a tremendous movie. Um, but like, I don't know. There's there's so many. I've seen Strawberry Estate. The one guy that's seen Strawberry Estate, aka the director of Strawberry Estate, and well, maybe two because his mom probably saw it also. Uh, your movie's terrible. Don't ever make a sequel. But uh, yeah, I mean, and so the Blair Witch Project. Like, I can understand where it sits in the history. Of filmmaking, but I think that a lot of its history does lie in that like marketing that made it so popular. Like if, if the Blair Witch Project hadn't have had that marketing push behind it, like no one would remember it on the qualities of filmmaking itself. I that's my my feelings on it. All right. I mean, you can all everyone on the internet can disagree with me all they want, but I agree. <laughs> you agree. Um, I mean, it's not even like the first found footage movie. That would be Cannibal Holocaust, and then there's the last broadcast, which is like the actually statement. Like in order to like speak online you have to be able to be like well actually like that's what i'm doing right now is i'm being that guy but you know before i embarrass myself with my categoric fucking knowledge of uh found footage anymore let's go ahead and uh get barbara on the line so we can talk to her about the blair witch game she is the uh narrative designer and uh we'll have her on shortly sounds good i'll call her now uh before we get i'd like to you know i don't know give a plug for my new podcast uh uh, you don't have to masturbate to this. It's looking at the intricacies of the Kashmiri genocide. podcast uh there was a quick music interlude there if my editor is doing his job and uh yeah so thank you for listening to all of our our news and our our hot takes um but now we've got barbara kachuk on the line from bloober team she is the narrative designer for blair witch say hi to everyone barbara hi there she is so um yeah hi yeah i know i we we all heard you yeah it's coming in loud and clear Yeah, it seems like That's we got perfect. all of our audio issues all dealt with already. So, uh, yeah, how are you doing today? What time is it over there in Poland? Uh, it's midnight. 
Cool. Yeah, so quite different time, I would say. Yeah, I know I told you that uh, it was only going to take 20 minutes for us to do the news, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm nothing if not a convincing liar, so. <laughs> Great. So I've gotten... It's worth to know. Yeah, it's, it's how I've gone so far in the industry. I'm actually, like, terrible at everything other than just, like, smiling and, like, convincing people that I'm honest. So, yeah, you know, that's a good, uh, that's a good introduction for me. Yeah, so um, we just got finished talking about Tokyo Game Show and the new Xbox fucking fiasco, the new Xbox X, XO10, XO19. Uh, do you know if Bloober's going to be at either of those? I can't comment on that. Mm, okay, well, mm. you didn't get announced as one of the, the games that Sony is showcasing, so if you're going to be announcing anything at TGS, then, uh, well, I mean, it's like next week, so <laughs> whatever. We'll find out. Well, oh. we didn't we didn't know we are going to appear on E3, so mm, who knows, who knows? Yeah, that's I'm not the, saying anything. That's the thing, is that E3, uh, no one knew that Bloober was going to be announcing at E3, um, which I was, like, surprised by, because Layers of Fear 2 had come out, like, like, seriously, I... I hadn't published my Layers of Fear 2 review yet because it came out so close to E3, I didn't have time to write it because I was planning for E3. And then they announced Blair Witch, and then Blair Witch came out like three months later, right? Yeah, something like this. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, are you guys having fun over there at Blue Team right now now that the game's released? It's much quieter now. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, so... um uh yeah I, I you know the the purpose of this podcast is to be able to talk to uh it's not just to make jokes about recent video game news but it's to be able to talk to uh non air quotes real real professionals about uh all aspects of the gaming industry so you know just as like a kind of a kickoff question you know you, you said you're a narrative designer what what does that job entail um well you should consider narrative designers as a bridge between um, a game designer and a writer because you do write the story and you do write the dialogues but your most defining responsibility is to implement those things into the game Mm -hmm. because um, in games you must always consider that what you write um, is not the only way to tell the story because there are gameplay mechanics there are images, there are even UI elements, and they are all way of expressing ideas. So as a narrative designer, you must consider all those things, those ideas, and build the story to work with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big job, especially in a, like a kind of an interactive narrative game. Like, So if you were playing Call of Duty, like you don't really need to read a lot of story and meta-narrative data into, like, how you reload your assault rifle. Unless you're serious, like me. Yeah, but in <laughs> but in, but in Blair Witch, it's like the game is about interacting with these small objects. So um, what, were, what were some moments in Blair Witch that you're, you're, you're proud of, some little narrative moments that you think really shine? I really love my SMS messages. They are... They are, my, they are my darlings. Yeah. Those were pretty good. Did either <laughs> of you... really terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wrote the, um, uh, the, the text messages in the phone. That's one of the things that a lot of people might not even realize is in the game when they first play Blair Witch is that you actually, like, you start the game loaded with, like, your phone has, like, a call history and text messages that you can then, like, explore through, and, like, voicemails and stuff that you can, like, listen to. And um, you wrote... 
What was the one that you wrote that I saw at the... Uh... I wrote all of them, but you saw the uh, the woman in the corner. Mm. Yeah, the, uh, the, the chain one that's like, email this to five yeah. friends or the, the evil lady yeah, will come one. spook you. It brought me right back to the day. If only they knew. <laughs> if only they knew. <laughs> Yeah, that that was my favorite. I I love all of them, but I love this one the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you know those 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 kinds of like little narrative moments, like you kind of discover naturally by like, okay, you get a call from Jess, you answer the phone, you look at the phone, you see the messages. Oh, what else are these messages in here? Uh, what are some like moments in the game that like people might have a harder time discovering? Oh, there are like thousands of them. Like to be honest. What you write is just like what, what what the players see is a very very small portion of what you write because there are always those situations that the player just won't encounter and sometimes it's worth seeing those texts and sometimes it isn't because in the end most of them are like oh I'm going to right direction I'm going to wrong direction and now repeat I'm going to the right the wrong direction three times because every time there needs to be a different cue so well. There are thousands of texts you won't see if you just play the game like you should. But for me, the most, um, the, the, the one I like the most that is hard to spot is probably the little fortunes in Ellie's mm. wallet. Uh, mm. And they are, uh, you should watch them during the, the whole playthrough because they are uh, changing as the story progresses in, and in, in twisted way they always reflect what is about to happen so that was something I had really great fun writing Yeah, Christine have you uh, encountered any of these uh, smaller narrative moments that you uh, kind of just like discovered yourself? Yeah, I they're, like with the fortune uh, that had that was something I, I kind of uh, stumbled upon by mistake. Um, and and that made me think how many of those, when, when you were writing those and when you were thinking about how they would appear in the game, it, if you don't see them, it might not change the way that you, you know, approach the game, but it does, definitely adds a layer to the character that, um, that uh, makes it more, you know, multi-layered. Are there, were there any moments that you had in there that you you were kind of nervous about putting in those places instead of you know blatantly in the game because you felt like a player might miss them? In a way, yes. Um, although it's fine if people don't see them. Let, let, let's say that it's fine if people don't see them because I would never allow a critical part to the story to go to such an easy to miss place because I have a control when I'm putting stuff when I have control if I'm showing the story through images I have the control if I'm showing in through the dialogues through notes or whatever so I have certain degree of confidence that some things will be shown and that some will be easier to skip but it's fine because in the end I can allow myself to let them be skipped because it's about giving those small but interesting details to those who go out and look for them. For them, this is what makes the additional effort worth it. Yeah, and I always okay. I always find that those those elements, those like individual exploration elements, are like what sets apart the games that are fan favorites from those that aren't. Like the ability to actually like kind of delve deeper and find these little hints. 
um, is especially like a hallmark of like bloober team games in general. I mean, like Layers of Fear. Um, there were all these like little elements in the house that you could like look through and find inferences. And a lot of drawers. Yeah, there's a, a there's a drawers. lot of drawers with a lot of nothing inside them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But there sometimes there is something, and you know, you must open them all to know. Definitely, I think that's the most. I mean, that's the best part of the game of the horror games is to find the secrets. I mean, unless you're a speedrunner for Blair Witch. Uh, Checking every nook and cranny is half the fun. Yeah, what? yeah, and you know, sorry, um, but there are so like, I go to forums or to blogs and everywhere, and I'm reading what people are saying, and sometimes I see them speculating like what those psychiatric notes means and what they what really happened, and I'm like, I know, and I want to tell you, but but I won't because. This is that that would take away the fun because knowing such, such a story is never better. It's always the unexplained that we crave for. Definitely, and that also is a big part of 21st century games is having an online community uh, collectively trying to f you know give meaning to something that they might find yes, confusing. Yes, and this is also very very close to Blair Witch because there was this confusion. There was this website that. Yeah, suggested some things, but other things stayed a mystery. Like, was it all true? Not really. Like, no one knew. And this is something that we also kind of want to have in this game. And, and to be clear, Barbara was not listening when we were just having our conversation about Blair Witch and the most, when I stated that the most interesting thing about it was the marketing. So she was not briefed on this at all. So I, I think you should know that now it's just verified that I'm right, which in, in, if anyone needed more verification, here we go. Um, but yeah, so another question that I, I had was that, you know, you're talking about these little elements uh, that might get missed, but, you know, part of making games is like realizing your your mistakes and like how to grow from them. So like what are moments that like you really wanted a thought that people would find more obvious and that they didn't and how are you gonna kind of improve that for future? That's a tough one. To be honest, I don't think that was one of the problems. Like uh, I wouldn't improve on that front because like I said, it's fine if some people don't find certain things it's more important to give something to the players that would reward them, that would make the effort, additional effort in this game, um, rewarding to, 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 to make it worth, uh, wor worth, the, worth the energy they needed to put in it. But one of the things I am a little uh, unhappy with is, for example, the fog... A sequence where you are actually able to talk to the second character that is there but you need to know that you need to answer the, the walkie, that you need to interrupt uh, his talk. So this is something that is not, uh, it's not so hard to grasp this concept but it's something that you usually don't do in video games. If you don't get a prompt, do it now you usually don't do it. And yeah, I guess most of the players didn't think about it. Yeah, there's a ton of these moments in Blair Witch that I just had like no idea that that was interactable. Like, uh, Christine, you probably haven't even noticed this, but you know when you find the, the dead bodies, correct? Mm -hmm. So you can actually call people to then report the dead bodies and it changes the outcome of the story. 
Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, see, it's one of these things that the game doesn't really tell you about, but, like, that's that's kind of, it's, like, negative, but at the same time, it's like, oh, this gives me more reason to, like, go back through and explore again and see all the things I missed. Like, there are some, like, funny little details. Like, if you play Snake on your phone during the last segment, your phone can actually die, which is, like, yeah, you wouldn't know that unless you just keep playing and finding these things. Don't play Snake when you're on one bar. Come on. But I also, like, you know, I remember watching this Dead Space dev, dev blog a while ago where they're talking about crafting of a scare. And if you're going to have a scary moment, you've got to make sure that you draw the player's attention to that scary moment. You can either do that by literally taking control of the camera and moving it there, or by, like, making sure that what, where the scare is going to be is an interesting place to be looking, that you're naturally going to be looking there. So, um, and with narrative, like, you're going to have to draw people to... Uh, those those elements. Now, with the previous Bloober Team games, this was a lot easier because the amount of gameplay mechanics were, like, one. Like, I think Layers of Fear, like, the only gameplay mechanic was, like, opening and closing drawers. Um, but with Blair Witch, you introduced a lot more m- mechanics. You not only had all the stuff the dog could do and all, like, uh, the secret water bottles that he could find, um, but uh, also, like, the phone and the, the walkie-talkie uh, do you do you feel like there were too many mechanics possibly that people could explore and play with that it kind of got lost or what do you think? I'm sorry, but we actually um, removed some of them, so you know it's really in a better place now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I would say that if you were able to compress some of those mechanisms, it would be worth to compress them, but. Uh, well, if the game was set now, like today, we would have phone with the flashlight, we'd have a phone with camera, and we would have a phone with walkie-talkie system. So there would be no problem at all. But in uh, that, uh, we went with the 90s team, so we couldn't just make them all in one, one, one item. And that was what forced us to, to create different objects and to give each of those objects a different meaning to a different role and so on and so on Mm -hmm. I look forward to playing the version of the game where Ellis has a beeper and a (laughs) uh, crossword puzzle book in his pocket (laughs) access yeah what were some of these uh, elements that got cut Uh, well he uh, because um, when writing dialogues for the game it's always the question who the character is talking to. Hmm. So with Bullet, it got easier because he can talk to his dog, which is not something that happens in real world that often, but yeah, we talk with our pets. I and disagree. sometimes we are just... I mean, yes, yes, the cute, cute, yeah, that, that's how we talk. But um, generally, we don't narrate our adventures to our dogs, unless you do. Then I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. I mean, I think I think playing through this because I've I've been streaming it. Um, I think I've talked to the dog more than a normal person <laughs> should, <laughs> just because it's it's like the only other person, or I say person, but the only other like character you have an inter- like a true interaction with when you're you're in these situations. It was a really good idea to have a dog there because it, you know, I've I've played a, a number of other. Uh, games like this and just having the character talk to themselves is really kind of stupid yeah 
Yeah, that, that was exactly why the dog is useful, because you can talk to him, and talking to him seems natural. And in horror games, uh, protagonists are either mute or they communicate with grunts, because having them talk to themselves, because in horror games we all mostly have uh, lone protagonists, so talking to themselves is really, uh, it just breaks the immersion. So one of the ways we wanted to solve that was to give um, the character the dictaphone. But in the end, we decided that this is a mechanism that would only serve our narrative in making it, in making the dialogues to, like, making the, the comments of the character less unnatural. But in the, in the same time, we had a dog, so we could have done it already, and we just could remove this one additional item mm, okay yeah the uh i i i think that the idea of like having to merge gameplay with narrative is is a really interesting one especially for horror games where like the more that you take someone out of the experience the less scary it is you want to make sure that all of the mechanics are kind of naturally implemented in the world um and you know there was a number of like little kind of flare moments that uh, were, were kind of interesting with that. Like when you're uh, inspecting the wallet, like you can figure out that uh, Ellis is a vet pretty early on by opening the, the wallet and finding his like army uh, a pin in there. How do you balance um, wanting to have fun little things that someone can discover with not wanting to completely spoil the story? Well, you just know what you want to do. Like um, we never... I think that we even during the, the, the E3 we talked that he is an ex-cop, an ex-military, so we never kept it a secret. It was just something that doesn't play a big role until it does. So you can know that he's a military person from the very beginning and it doesn't change until the moment... It doesn't change anything until the moment comes when it does. So, yeah, it, it's just... You need to know when spoiling certain things is fine and what things play a role in this particular moment. Because in the end, what what does it change that you know? It doesn't change anything be- before you learn that he has a PTSD and everything. Yeah, so actually I, I really wanted to get into the uh, PTSD point for a second here. Um, because the previous Bloober Team games have like always dealt with the idea of psychological trauma, but it's always been kind of like a hyperbolic psychological trauma that not a lot of people can relate to. So with Layers of Fear, it was like your wife was disfigured in a fire. Like not many of us in real life have like disfigured wives from a fire. Layers of Fear 2 was like, didn't you like eat your brother or something? No, like your brother, you, like you were eating rats on a boat and then like the boat exploded and then you became an actor and you're not sure which one you are because of like your fractured psyche. Like... Oh, sorry, spoilers. But, like, that's not something that many of us go through. Like, not a lot of us were stowaways on the Titanic. But, like, um, and then Observer was about, like, a cyber future cop that is Rutger Hauer. And, like, none of us are, are Rutger Hauer. Literally none of us anymore. But, uh, and, like, that, like, read people's minds. Like That was harsh. It's, I'm, it, I'm not the one that killed him. So, anyways, um, but, uh, you know, these are all concepts that, like, not there's something that we can like psychologically construct in our mind palace but ptsd is something that like a lot of people genuinely deal with and um so first off the question is you know where did the decision to have ellis be a vet come from and secondly when tackling that issue how did you 
approach it? Like, did, were you kind of cautious about approaching it? Did you realize you had to deal with it with a little bit more, um, like, like tact? Like, I know Poland doesn't have a military, but here in the U.S., it's like one in three people uh, have a cousin that was in Iraq or something. But like, it's it's way way bigger here, and there's a lot of people that this could genuinely like affect. Have you? And so, like, what are the question has already been stated, but also, like, what is some of the feedback you've gotten about it? Uh, well, there are so many questions, I don't know where to start. Uh, but, all right, <laughs> so let me start with the feedback, because this was the last, so I remember it. Um, <laughs> well, generally, we had a very positive feedback. We heard from some people that they really could connect with how it was shown, because this is how this feeling is represented for them but we also re need to remember that for every person it's a different thing it's a trauma and it's caused by different things it's it, it shows itself a different thing so obviously we can't say that yeah this is how it is and everyone will recognize it no that, that's not how it is we just you we you need to be aware that some people perceive it differently so obviously we need to be very careful how we how we choose to portray it because it's a sensitive topic it's not something easy and yeah it's like, like you said it's something a lot of people deal with and you need to be careful you need to to know that what you show can affect those people and they it, it can remind them of what they are going through what they went through and maybe even some have very similar experiences you don't know you never know about such things so you always need to be prepared and you always need to research and educate yourself as much as is possible and I remember that you asked where the decision uh, to make Alice vet come from and when creating a story it's hard to pinpoint where exactly certain decisions decisions emerge from because it's too much of a fluid process to justify certain choices. We did that for this reason. And um, at the beginning, there is always chaos, right? Um, there are endless possibilities. And this is a very exciting part because, well, you can go wherever. But for me, it's also a very tough part because where do you go where you can go wherever? So mm -hmm. at some point, you need to just start to decide for real. And you need to consider what you have, what lore of language gives you, and what you want to put in this game. And you work from there. Mm. So, for example, we knew that we wanted a character whose past uh, we can explore and possibly use against him. And we knew that we need to give him, in order to achieve that, we need to give him something he just cannot come to terms with. And in order to do that, we needed to place him in a situation where something like this can happen, and war is a perfect setting for that. And, well, war is not something typical for Blair Witch, but it's something that can happen in this universe, that happened in this universe. And, well, there's never one concrete reason why you shape your story in a certain way. There's always many advantages and disadvantages to every solution, and you just pick whatever suits your needs best. Yeah, perfect. I mean, that's that actually leads really, really well into the next question that I had, um, which is, you know, you were talking about trying to come up with a situation that would feel natural in the Blair Witch world. Now, you're you're. This is the first time like Blue Team has worked on a game that isn't their own intellectual property. So, when when crafting the story, did you like? take elements from Blair Witch and say, okay, we want to hit these points, or did you create the story and then kind of 
mold it to fit in the world of Blair Witch? How did you approach that kind of story building aspect um, with with the, with the intellectual property? Well, it all begins with choosing the themes from the source material you want to carry on to the to your project, but this is a very small part of it. Because creating a game is a continual process. Creating a story for a game is a continual process. Or, to be slightly more truthful, it's a continual process of killing your darlings. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, you have some ideas, and those ideas are great, and you love them, but those uh, initial ideas really make it the final game. Like, when you, when you did you notice that while you were playing Blair Witch, did you notice that um, one of the, the acts was added, like it never existed before, in the very middle of the production, or that one was completely scrapped and rewritten in the last month, just before release? It's, it just happens. It, 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 was, it was how it was with this project. Is it, is and, it, is it the one where you're running through the, uh, the swamp with all the flashlights? Uh, no, that was there from the beginning. Oh, you are shit. very, very wrong. I'm very wrong. I think I think it was even that the running was even if in our first build ever like it was just the the the, um, the initial mechanism shown and the swamp was the we're so. gonna need an air horn or a siren effect for when I'm exquisitely wrong <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah so these things just happened because game design influences script and the script influences game design and even if you have this li- perfect little scene that you love and you know that it will be the best scene ever level designs le- level designers will come and totally twist your ideas the animal animators will imagine the scene scene completely different sound designers will add some their, of their ideas and so on and so on and so on and the final story that really re- emerges from this cooperation you are never a sole created a creator i mean you can be if you are making a game on your own but yeah it was not mm. a blair witch <laughs> yeah i i so what what's one of these ideas that uh kind of got left on the cutting room floor with one of your darlings you wish you could resurrect i think that in final game you don't get the message right after this this running through the swamps right you don't get the the voicemail uh, no, you go from running through the swamps into the under tree. And in under tree, you should get a message. I, I don't remember. I, I'm sorry. I, I played it. I played it, and I reviewed yeah, so, it. So, so there was there was there was a message, and when you called your voicemail, they were giving you um, uh, those those NATO alphabet, the the where you uh, replace every uh, letter with a word. And basically, at first it was normal, but then it was starting to the the words got creepier and creepier. And I remember it, that. Yeah, there was it. So it is in final game. Are you yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I Are... was I was pretty sure that. It, yeah. Then, then no, it's, it's fine. like and alpha. Then, it's the military, yes, yes, and, and then, then it gets all creepy. All my darlings are still dead, and I'm so happy. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, because there, there's another thing. You don't always have the control. Sometimes you just lose the control at some moment, and things well disappear, appear. You don't know what is going on with them because, well, there were different things planned, but they didn't work, or they did work so well that the old things are just erased and everything so sometimes you just don't know what is going to end up there i'm gonna blame it on my review copy my review copy didn't have these elements in it so i'm not an idiot awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. Um, so this, a lot of what you're talking about is like this kind of collaborative process with creating a story, like how you write the story and then things get lost because you're working between teams. So like you as a creative type in the gaming industry have what like a lot of people would consider to be their dream job. Like so many people want to write video game stories. So what was your perspective on storytelling before you entered the industry and how has it changed ever since you've been working in an actual industry situation? So it was a dream job for me. So I, I, I'm in the same situation as you. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, but I would say that my perspective didn't change that much because for me it was all, always either I will be writing games and only games or I will, I'm going back to data science. I am not interested in writing. I want to write games specifically. Uh, but this doesn't mean that I didn't learn anything because, well, writing games is really, really different than from 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 what you imagine because uh like every dream job you just start you just go to the office one day start working and it turns out that it's not as amazing as you always imagine although there are a lot of great stuff that you never imagined you would be doing and you well you need to adapt to both the positive surprises and negative ones so the takeaway is bluebird team not actually an amazing place to work Absolutely not, and I did not say that. And if if someone from Bluebird is listening to this, he said that. Not that me. Don't worry, no one listens to this yet. You'll be fine. Uh, we'll see. So, what are some fun office stories? What's it like? What's it like working at Bluebird? It's great because we are the team, and yeah, I would say that for me, the most important part is exactly that team part that we are. Well, we are not just a big corporation and you just put your work there and you never know what's happening to them, to, to, to it. It's more like, oh, okay, I have this idea. We can try this. Or you work in this department, but someone else comes to you and, hey, I have this idea. I know that I'm, I'm not a writer, but you are, so maybe let's do it. And yeah, you get all those feedbacks, all those ideas. And yeah, this is what really makes it great that... It's a team. You are not part. You are not just a part of a corporation. Of co- you are not a part of co- corporation. You are not a part of some mechanism. You are a team, and you really work as a team. What What's something that you've done in your position that you didn't expect to be doing when you got hired? Uh, directing motion capture sessions. It was. It, it It's not unexpected, but I never thought about it. And it's really a great fun to to see how how because it's weird because you mostly um, record movements without the dialogues, so people are always muttering to themselves something, and this can be really weird and really <laughs> funny. I totally recommend that if you ever have a chance to watch motion capture session session, uh, listen to actors. Yeah, I actually uh, got the chance to talk to the Quantic Dreams people at uh, Quantic Dream. Sorry, they get really mad if you say Quantic Dreams uh, at uh, Comic Con and about all the vo- uh, motion capture acting and stuff. It's 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 pretty interesting. Um, okay. Although I think that uh, exactly Quantic Dream is um, recording both the sound and the movement. In Blue Bear Team, we are recording movement first, and then we are matching the sounds. 
Mm. Yeah. How did you do the mocap for the dog? <laughs> well, we have a dog in our office, so it was much easier than you can expect. What's, what's Although it was still name? very hard. Kali. Tell them I said hi. <laughs> All right. It will be done. It did, shall be done. Did uh, Kali make it into the game in any way? Uh, uh, yeah, her barking did, and all the sounds of the belly scraps uh, her, so yeah, she did. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. <laughs> that's so cute. Is, is she getting royalties? In form of snacks, yes. Okay, good. Mm. And more belly uh, scratches. <laughs> that's so how Ted pays me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you are satisfied, then yeah, I guess. <laughs> Um, don't, don't let my industry secrets be, be known. Okay. People got to still, I got to still try to hire people. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess the, you know, the, the, the next question is, is like, I kind of want to know about your, your journey into the industry. Like, you know, people imagine that they just like want to do game design and they're not really even sure like how to get into it. So was, is Bluebird your first job? What projects did you work on before? Uh, no, I actually had, uh, quite a few projects before and I started working as an intern. Uh, I was doing the customer support job, but there it turned out that I'm pretty good with people. So I became a community manager, but (laughs) I'm a community manager. Uh, So yeah, so I was you at some point of my life, Uh, but I prefer to solve problems of the game instead of solving the problems of the players, so I quickly change roles to project manager. Uh, but I don't like being project managers, so at this stage I did a lot of side projects. I was respo- responsible for game design, for programming, for writing, for translations, everything. And I worked in different companies with different people in different sized groups. Uh, I attended every lecture I could, I went to workshops, I took part in game jams, and generally I was learning as much as possible from all sides of game designing. And from that, well, it led me to my favorite position so far, which is narrative designer. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of work. I don't really want to work very hard. Are there any uh, tips and tricks if I don't want to work hard? uh, Tips and tricks? Hmm. Yes. uh, you just need to find a joy in what what, what you are, what you are <laughs> doing, and you know, uh, do what you love. And some say that you won't work for a day in your life, but some say that uh, you'll have a crippling anxiety because you'll take every criticism very personally. Choose whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I relate. Yeah. Um, you want to tell us about one of these uh, previous projects you worked on? Any that uh, stand out? <laughs> we did a game, uh, it was Global Game Jam 2018, I think, no, no, 17, and um, we didn't have anyone who could really, who was really good at programming, I mean, I technically am a programmer by education, but this doesn't matter, I never did games, like, from this side, so we needed to do something very, very easy, and we decided that, yeah, visual novels are pretty easy to, to, to make, so we'll make a visual novel, and one of our colleagues misheard us while, uh, while we were talking about it, and it was like, what, visual lover, and we were like, yes, Visual lover, so it was. Uh, so it ended up as a game about uh, romancing with Mona Lisa. Oh, that's great! 
Are there um, any 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 projects that you are not super proud of anymore? Well, I worked in mobile games, and I'm not really proud of that part of my life. Like, there are some great mobile games. Like, truly, they are, but there is a whole lot of them that are below what you would um, call moral. That's a. Uh... That's a weight you're going to have to carry, I suppose. Till the end of my life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, do any of you have any follow-up questions or um, questions that you want to get in now? Um, how was your day? Pretty good, thank you. That's, that's all I, I got. Christine? I, I actually have a question about um, your, your game jam experience. Um, because as, as someone who's looking to do their first um, game jam, I was wondering what, and and somebody who's uh, going in with writing experience, what would you say to somebody uh, who is going in for the first time who has no idea what they're they're really looking for? So what I would say is don't worry because that's not what you are supposed to do there. And yeah, obviously it's fun if you have a group who knows what they plan to do, what they can do and everything, but that's not the point in the end. The point is to just go and learn and meet new people and have fun and well, there is a great presentation, like really great presentation from previous year, um, pre previous year's Global Game Jam. It's called There's No Wrong Way to Draw a Cow. cow, cow. Uh, there's no wrong way to draw a cow. Um, so um, watch it because like, it explains everything. Because people are expecting that they'll make a game and it'll be a great game and they will finish it. And it never works. Like Those games are pretty bad. They're not, unfinished. They don't work in the moment you finish them. And, you know, but it's not about that in the end. It's about making a team about thinking about some creative stuff you would never be able to create otherwise because, well, no one would take Visual Lover seriously and no one would ever produce it. So yeah, so it's about going there and doing some fun shit. It's not about winning or about, I don't know, creating a next great AAA game. Awesome, thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, Barbara, I, we're coming up on the end of our little interview here because I have to go shoot another podcast because I don't get to sleep. Um, uh, just, you know, kind of closing up, do you have anything uh, you want to pitch, any other projects you're working on, anything you want to talk about here towards the end? So Bluebird Team is working on something big and we'll release some big news soon, so stay tuned. How soon? I can say that. Can you just let me know a couple days before so I can wake up to program no. the article? <laughs> no. Well, I, I just got to... I'm sure I'll get the the announcement a good 70 seconds before the rest of the world does, so yippee. Um, 60. 60 whole seconds. Yeah, that's what my, my favor curries me in, the, in this industry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about, you know, your kind of experience in the industry, what it was like making Blair Witch... Um, do you have anything you want to say to all the fans before we uh, sign out? I'm so glad that you liked my game. <laughs> and we will clarify it is your game. You were the creator of it, and you take all the credit. All the credit. All the credit. All is mine. Perfect. That's good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so um, you guys, anything else you guys want to pitch before we go? I already pitched my podcast. Yep. Uh, 
I, I'm still not sure if we're going to cut that part yet, so maybe we'll just let people hunt for it in the middle. Uh, Christine, you have anything you want to pitch real quick? Um, I mean, I'm always streaming on twitch.tv slash the smallest verb. Um, I'm actually currently playing Blair Witch. So if you guys want to check out um, what the game is, you can uh, jump on, on on Monday. I'll be playing the rest of it. Yeah, and we'll link your Twitch I'll check it out. I will check it out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll link the description for your channel in the, uh, in the video description. And to be clear, how do you spell the smallest verb? It's the... And then smallest is S-M-O-L-L-E-S-T, and burb is B-I-R-B. Yes, so it's the smallest burb instead of the smallest smallest. burb. Yeah, just making sure that everyone is is clear on that. And, you know, once again, I'm Ted. Thank you for joining me on this journey through the video game landscape on the SS Real Professional. Check out all of our newest news and articles on DreadXP.com. You can check out uh, Jesse over here. He recently reviewed the new Monster Hunter Iceborne expansion and uh, Erratus, Lord of the Dead, a Darkest Dungeon-type game. And uh, I reviewed some stuff. I don't really remember. My brain has long ago turned into Swiss cheese from all the video games. Katamari Damacy Revengeance. Yeah, Katamari Damacy Revengeance. That's the the one where you you play as uh, the side character of his dad. That'd be a cool one. Um, We got reviews coming up for Devil Punch, Devil Fight. I don't know. It's a a weird game. that I I try to review one of those bad asset flips every once in a while, so that's going to be coming out soon. And, uh, yeah, so just stay tuned for all the stuff we got going on. You can check out the Blair Witch Review on Dread XP. Follow us on Twitter at Dread underscore X underscore P because the moment we registered the domain name, a bot actually took the Twitter handle. So <laughs> that's fucking great. We're going to try to get that changed as soon as we can. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Welcome to the future. This is what we all fought for. Uh, thanks, Elon Musk. Um, and, yeah, so... Uh, once again, this has been the first real professional episode of Real Professional with where air quotes real professionals talk to non-air quotes real professionals. I'd like to thank our two non-air quotes real professionals, Christine and uh, Barbara, for joining us this week. And uh, once again, these are the air quotes real professionals, Ted and Jesse. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. It's closer to a British carbonara. No. It is, no, that's true. Oh, well, that's fun, glad you're Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? If my grandmother had wheels, she'd have been a bike. <laughs> you know, what, you know? <laughs> you know, what, I understand, you know, it doesn't make any sense what you say. It's a different recipe. It's got nothing to do with the macaroni cheese. You know? Well,